Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio, the digital agency podcast for progressive agency owners and web professionals. Season four is an exploration of diversity in our industry, especially gender diversity. This season, your host, Barry O'Kane, is joined by some wonderful co-hosts for conversations with agency leaders and diversity and inclusion experts. Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. In this episode, Erica and I speak to the amazing Molly Watt. Molly is registered deafblind due to a genetic condition called Usher Syndrome, and she uses her passion and experiences to specialize in accessibility and usability in the world of design. Now, Molly's story, presentation, and videos are truly inspiring, and in this episode, we have a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation about inclusion and diversity. So let's meet Molly. Hi, my name's Molly and I am an accessibility and usability consultant. I have a genetic condition called Usher syndrome, which forms deafness and blindness. So I was born deaf and then later on found out I was going blind. So this is uh, one of the main reasons really why I fell into accessibility and why I'm so passionate about inclusion and trying to sort of persuade lots of people in all industries to think similar to myself in terms of designing and you know just creating all inclusive experiences for everybody awesome thank you and thank you so much for joining us on the show and also as we know we're doing uh i have a co-host with me for every episode and um erica's joining us this way hi erica hello how are you yeah really good thanks so i reckon we can we should just jump in molly and i have seen you present and read some of your stuff and you do a really good job of summarizing your own background and as you've done there why that has sort of led you down to being so passionate and being so involved in accessibility and assistive technology and so on. But maybe that's a good place to start if you just wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more of that backstory and what led you to where you are now. Sure. Yeah, so as I just mentioned, I have this condition called Usher syndrome. But one of the early the early challenges, I think, was really the adjustment in living from being born as a deaf person accessed in the world through my eyes and through hearing aid and then losing my sight and figuring out how to actually access the world around me without having my vision and that's when really I talk a lot about how privileged I feel to live in a day day where we actually have access to bits of technology that can actually help me on my day-to-day life so for instance I use bits of mainstream tech in I have used all of it in every aspect of my life. So in terms of GCSE, so when I was doing my exams when I was 15, I could not have gotten through it without a Kindle or an iPad because I could not access the textbooks or anything like that. So all the material, I had to modify myself using technology. Otherwise, I would not have been able to, to succeed in education. And so in the midst of all that, was really trying to adjust to kind of the technical strategies as well as also trying to accept that society hadn't quite gotten up to speed with kind of, I would say, diversity at that point, because I had a constant battle of trying to prove to people that I was actually capable of doing these things and that I was only capable unless I had the right tools and support. So one of the things about having Usher syndrome, albeit I was born deaf and I knew everything there was about being deaf, going blind was a whole new story because 
it was progressive and I lost a lot of my sight in two years. So I'd registered blind by the age of 14 and I was given my first guide dog at the age of 16. So a lot of things changed really quickly. And I'd probably say that one of the hardest part was actually accepting that Yes, I was a bit different and I, I could access things differently, but the people around me weren't all fully understanding of that. Teachers, for instance, they kind of didn't want to believe that I had this condition. Oh, but you look okay, so you must be fine. So I often found myself constantly trying to explain that actually I'm only so capable because I have the tools. I have bits of technology that allows me to communicate and be as independent as I am. So it's really through a series of experiences, being deaf blind, but also with the tools that I've, I've been able to have, I've really learned more about myself and how to really shout about what is needed and actually how we could try and get society more understanding and actually changing the way we think about accessibility. Because whilst a lot of companies talk about accessibility, which is great, I think they address it too much being that it's for minority groups and actually it could be addressed as a, a majority kind of training so that people could actually be thinking more inclusively. And I, I guess I'm really passionate about that because I've experienced exclusion. I've experienced what it's like not to be able to access test papers in schools and I've experienced not being able to access you know being part of a, a group a friendship group and it's all it's just it all can be tied together nicely with the right thinking and right tools and the right support system and I think that's really yeah why I kind of after I withdrew withdrew from university unfortunately I withdrew again for some of the reasons that I spoke about ignorance you know I had lecturers saying to me you know well, how are you going to be able to do this if you can't see or hear properly and I think I was at a point in my life where I really thought, you know what, is this really what I want to do? Is this a battle that I want to fight? And I was defeated. I did feel quite defeated. But in hindsight, I think what life was trying to tell me was that I needed to do greater, bigger things. Like the degree that I was doing was to be a teacher, a primary school teacher, because I liked the idea of educating the next generation on inclusion and, you know, well, if your teacher is deaf blind, you can do anything, you know. But I think I felt that leaving university meant that I would I would go on to educate larger audiences. So I kind of do my public speaking and I talk, I motivate people and I talk about um, accessibility, inclusion, my life story, what I have led to doing what I do, how I've gained the confidence to be able to do so. And then, of course, I started consulting in accessibility, usability and inclusive thinking in all different kinds of industries. So whether it be kind of holiday making websites or kind of within recruitment. So I've had people talking to me about how how can we actually employ people with disabilities and what things do we need to be thinking, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I find myself kind of advising people a lot now and I've started doing uh, workshops as well. And the workshops are more about assistive technology and how we can make everything more compatible with assistive technologies and have a better understanding of how they work because I think a lot of people in the digital field feel that if to, to put it bluntly people think that if you have got assistive technology then designers don't really need to do much more to make their website more accessible which is just shocking <laughs> um, so yeah so really I just work hard to try and change people's perspectives on not only accessibility, but leading into being more 
diverse and um, thinking more inclusively to meet the needs of every end user, not just minority groups. And I do that by using my own experiences, um, user testing, talking to people and networking. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's, I mean, both inspirational, but also really, I mean, there's so much in there that we could dig into. There's one thing that really s- sort of jumped out at me that you said a couple of times in that uh, you're talking about not just minority, but majority. Can you t- sort of expand on what you mean by that a bit more? I talk a lot about the aging population. So with that, what I mean is our aging population is growing, which is great. So we're all living longer. However, the only thing that will change is the way you access the world around you. So I talk a lot about my granddad, my dear granddad, who I love dearly and would probably hate to hear that I talk about him so much in in my work. But um, we recently bought him, well, I say recently, a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if I spoke about it in the presentation that you saw me at, but I do talk about it quite a bit. We bought him an iPad a couple of years ago. And he was a total technophobe. He was like, nope, don't want this, don't need it, et cetera, et cetera. But he looked at it, and I found myself setting up this iPad exactly how I set up my products. Now, I am a registered deafblind person, and my granddad is just an elderly old man who's got very thick lenses. He needs hearing aids. His mobility is restricted now. Um, He's a lot slower and it's just simple things on, in his day-to-day life that he, he could now do on his iPad. And it wasn't hard. It was, the, it was the usability of it that made it so easy for him to be able to just do things from the tip of a finger. And I use that, that example because I am de- I'm deafblind, but the way I use the product is very similar to my 80-year-old granddad. And he is just an older man. So we talk a lot about the acquiring disabilities, um, temporary disabilities. So, for instance, if you break an arm, how do you behave with, with your product using one hand? How can we make that easier? Or if you simply have one arm. So the similarities between temporary and and wearing disabilities as well as, you know, having disabilities, there are lots of similarities there. So I often what I do is I get people to think about where they are going to be in 30 plus years time. Will they still be able to drive? Will they be able to, to, to run? You know, they may well have a walking stick or they may well need reading glasses. That's a common one I talk about. One in four people need reading glasses by the time they get to the age of 40 which therefore means they are wearing assistive technologies and so they have accessibility needs. So why don't, why doesn't everything come in large print now? Or why don't you get a version that is large print should you need it? Like menus, they're always tiny. Why, why are they tiny? You know, it's just simple things like that. And I sort of think, actually, if we think that having large print not only benefits me as a, as a blind person, it benefits a lot more people that need glasses that might turn up to the office and forget their glasses my granddad I've been out for dinner with him he's forgotten his glasses and I have had to read the menu to him because I can access it more than him and that is because people have this shallow understanding of what accessibility means and what being blind means for example people think that if you are blind you see nothing at all where and you auditory check like voiceover and things like that but I am not I am not an auditory tech user I use large print and that's exactly the same as lots of people like my parents they use their they 
through their emails with large print. And I just sort of think that's actually more of a universal tool. Like lots of people would benefit from that, like pinch zoom and things like that. Everyone uses it. Why can't it be seen as more of a mainstream feature opposed to accessibility? So that I try and link it all up to the aging population. Where are you going to be in several years' time? You will still be working. You'll still be doing this because we are all more than capable of doing so. But the way you interact with the world around you will change because that's life. Everyone ages. <laughs> um, I just got there first, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's what I mean when I talk about that. I find that really interesting because, I mean, coming from the, uh, you know, as working on teams or working with, with people and we're creating products or, di- or websites or digital products, and I think you talk about this as well, like quite often the first thing is just to get the priorities clear, how important you know, it is important to think about these things, which is why I picked on that sort of seeing you know, the accessibility, for example, on a website as a, you know, it's just a minority, there's just a few people, you know, it's a kind of, and that directly correlating to the time and budget and priorities that we put on those sorts of thinking. Um, so I think that's really interesting when you're sort of talking about saying, well, it's not a minority, or it's not sensible to think about it as a minority, but there's this broader thing. And even that example you said, like, of a broken arm or a temporary issue on top of, you know, it just kind of changes that mindset a bit. I think that's really interesting. I think it is it is certainly a case of perspective because and training because especially where accessibility is concerned, I know everything comes back to budgets, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're gonna include accessibility, you've got to make it accessible because when this is the problem I have with the, the checklist that we have vision, hearing, motor and cognitive. Now we just focus on vision, for example, and what people think is if they and they tick as they go along. Right, my website is compatible with screen readers, so therefore my website is fully accessible to the blind. Totally incorrect, because out of the blind community itself, there's only a very small percentage, between 3 to 5% of blind people that see nothing at all, and all the rest of them have got vision, and they want to use it. So if they can utilise it by having larger text or changing the colours and things like that, you're actually, you're meeting so many more people, whereas it's like people have this mindset that accessibility is just this tiny little percentage and it's almost not worth addressing it, you know? And it's kind of like, well, no, if you're going to do it, you need to meet the needs of everyone. And actually, whilst you do that, you realise that you are helping more people than you realise because it's not necessarily the likes of people like myself, but it's likes of people like my granddad who just has a really strong prescription or people that, you know, wear glasses, or people that have blurred vision due to medication or something. You know, there's always something that could happen that could impair vision. And it's, it's more common than people realise. So it is, it is a matter of perspective and, and prioritising, like you say, because if you prioritise that actually you want the user experience to be great for everybody, well, you need to put more money into accessibility because if, if they can access it, you're going to have more clients. It's just more customers. That's just how it works. So, yeah, it is, it is a matter of awareness, I think, ultimately. A lot of people don't realise that about the blind community, how few people actually see nothing. Um, and that's just one example, you know, out of all of the components. Just to step back a little bit. So this season about the, of the podcast is our sort of broad topic is diversity. And the reason I'm really interested in this topic and talking to you, Molly, is uh, I guess where I'm coming from is the hypothesis 
hypothesis, that diverse teams or having more diversity and understanding within the teams that are working on products mean that mm-hmm. they'll be stronger and more aware of things like accessibility and the inclusiveness stuff. So I guess I just want to put that out there as a question mark to you or something. Is that is that a fair statement? And how closely related are these this this sort of the challenge of prioritizing and doing accessibility and inclusiveness and when we're building products and thinking about the diversities of the team doing those doing that work yeah i think that is a really important factor because by having a more diverse team you're bringing in a diverse amount of perspectives and experiences because i think it's not just about if you if you take user testing for example it's not just about getting a group of blind and deaf and disabled people in to test your product to see how accessible it is it's actually about getting a group of people all diverse for whatever reason whether it be a disability or something else and getting them to test it because I often see sometimes accessibility more as a preference. So when we think of it as preferences, it seems more mainstream and everyone has a preference. And because, of course, I would prefer to have my website more accessible. But then the next person might prefer to have more of a higher contrast for whatever reason. They prefer darker backgrounds or whatever. You know, some people just like the color black. And I think I think by bringing in more, having more input from a diverse team would definitely bring more ideas to the table. What one person thinks the other person won't think and what I'm saying to you guys, you might not have heard before and vice versa. So it's, it's all about learning from everyone's experiences, whoever they are, whether they have a disability or not. And I think, I mean, I used to work at Apple in retail and one of the things I loved about working there was that it was very diverse and they just, they were just very open-minded with people. So they took on lots of people. I don't think they went out thinking, right, we're going to employ diverse groups. I think they were just open-minded and it was like that from the very beginning, whereas lots of people are kind of backtracking from that. They're like, right, now we need to think about diversifying our team <laughs> and let's bring in some some blind people and some you know whereas apple were great in that they started off being open-minded and they've just let people in and i think that might just be one of the reasons why they're pretty successful because they they had that mindset and i think i think it, it works both ways because in terms of being accessible and inclusive you need to be aware of the diversities out there and you know and i think people that are from diverse backgrounds are going to think more inclusively because they they have been brought up to be diverse and to be maybe different in a crowd and they're like actually no we're proud to be different and we want to we want to um, endorse that so I think I think it's really important to have diversity everywhere I think it's really important for everybody to learn more from other cultures disabilities you know religions etc and I think the only way we can do that by going forward is learning from each other rather than taking orders from, from people and, and training and, and this, that and the other. It's actually working with each other and just getting out there, getting more people in as well and just from all different kinds of backgrounds. And I'm, I'm not just talking about being disabled. I mean, I mean every background because there's so many things that people just don't realise. And it's like with my, if we're talking about me and my condition, people will say to me, oh, I just would never have known, I would never have known had I not have met you. And I'm just like, it's exactly that, because until you've met someone that's talking about it, you're not aware of it. 
So it is, it's literally that. And I think it's, it applies to everybody, whoever they are, whatever their experience is. So I think it's just down to society kind of allowing people to feel that they can also have diverse views and allow more diversity in. It's a work in, pro- it's a, it's a work in progress for sure, I think. I think a lot of people shout about diversity, which is amazing, but actually going through with it, I think we still have a bit of work to do with that. Uh, yeah, so that's really interesting. And as you're saying that diversity, and uh, there was something you said there that really, and now I, w- I would love to have memorized the word to use, but saying that basically, if I paraphrase, that a diverse team is kind of a pre- prerequisite for approaching these problems in a different way, rather than coming afterwards and saying, oh, we want now to make our thing accessible, or we want to make our team diverse and trying to sort of patch it on afterwards. And that if you start with a team that's more open and more diverse, then you're more likely to have more impactful or positive products from the start i guess if i'm sort of paraphrasing slightly there yeah yeah definitely i mean it's like it's like we always say accessibility is not an afterthought it cannot be you cannot design a website and then bring accessibility in it just doesn't work you know it has to be i know lots of people do do it that way you know but often you find they spend more money doing that because they have to reverse a lot of what they've already done so it is kind of about creating that base to begin with and having yeah, just being fully educated. I mean, obviously, no one's going to be perfect. No one's going to get it right first time. That's the other thing. We have to acknowledge that no one is perfect. Like, even I'm still learning in the field of accessibility. There's not things that I, there are things that I don't know, you know, but I'm, I think because I was brought up with this disability, and I think lots of people would say the same with disability, you are a lot more open-minded because you've been through exclusion. You've been put in a room where you felt kind of like you weren't understood and so when you when you're put in a room with someone else that might be feeling that way that person I I myself would be more understanding of that person feeling that way because oh I understand because I went through that you know you have more empathy empathy that's a word I'm going for and I think that's really important and that's why I started doing the workshop to try and get people not only to listen to me but actually generate some kind of understanding and empathy to kind of put that into their current work whatever that is you know like okay yeah I can see how that would change the way they feel when they're at work how can we change that just little things like that um because that person until they've been with someone like I just mentioned until they've met someone with the challenges they don't know they don't know so it is very much about thinking about it right from the beginning and you know just letting everybody voice their opinion really before kind of moving forward with the, with the project or whatever kind of getting getting people in and listening to them really so is that something you find that that sort of educational the why it's important is almost you know and then getting into the how we actually make things accessible like you said before you know there's endless checklists and there's things we can do and there's like it's all it's not like a one a job that's done once but it's a kind of ongoing thing where you need to sort of be thinking about accessibility as you're working on the product so that's the how but what you're talking about there is very much you know even before starting on the how we need to kind of educate and make people make the decision that they're going to do that do you think that i mean when 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 you talk about that education and when people bring you in is it that part of the the equation that a lot more of the energy and effort goes into or is there by the time they've maybe decided to talk to you or or somebody else that they're actually past that and that they're starting to okay well how do i do this i think that's one of the main issues i have with what i do is for a getting into a company and getting them to listen to me 
that bit is actually the easier part because I can easily kind of sell why I need to be in and why they need me, but be actually paying for it. So obviously I can't just live off fresh air, <laughs> you know, so I am a consultant and I do presentations, right? but consulting and things like that, it's quite hard. And that's when I actually get, I start to understand what company priorities are because you sort of think, well, actually, you talk about budgeting, you talk about this, you want to know how to do it, you want to know, you want to learn more, which is great, that's why you're contacting me, but you don't want to pay for it. And so often that's the hardest part for me to actually even get through the door to actually talk to people and educate them and help them with the how, how we go forward, et cetera, et cetera, with the workshop and uh, some of the things that I do do. I think that that is the hardest part. I think once I've actually gone in and I've spoken to them, we've done the workshops and, you know, worked with the team, they are definitely more aware of how they can actually go go ahead with, you know, whether it be further training amongst the staff or whether it's a whole remodel of the, the website. Or But the thing is, often I'm saying it's not even worth that. It's literally just little things that can make a massive difference. But that I would say it's more my challenge is actually getting in to tell them how because a lot of them don't they sort of think oh actually is it worth that and that's my my challenge there is actually to weigh out try and sell it to them that actually yeah it really is worth it because if you if you have a product or a, a website that is you know you think is going to be really worthwhile in order to reach every user you need to be fully accessible usable you need to be inclusive in order and what recruitment i find really interesting because they're always like we want we want to attract diverse groups and it's like well you're not going to if you haven't built an all-inclusive accessible uh, website it's just not going to happen linkedin classic example totally inaccessible i'm only on it and i i will just copy and paste what i put on my Facebook and my Twitter and all of that, obviously I'm on it because if I can get work from it, great. But if I get a message from them, from someone, I automatically have to reply saying, hi there, really sorry, can't access LinkedIn, can you please email me at da da da, because I can't access it. But then lots of other people like myself, which would be, they just want to have that opportunity to be on LinkedIn to network with other business owners or get work, etc. They would have to seek help elsewhere which is as we all know quite hard if you're not disabled let alone disabled so yeah I just think that it's just really key that people are aware of the importance and once they know how important it is the how part actually isn't so tough because it there's people like myself out there that can go in and definitely help with that I think it's just getting them to realize how important it is that is the main challenge I wonder, it makes me think in the design industry, I I have a hard time selling certain services as well, namely planning. (laughs) I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to plan their site, but anyway, different story. But I'm, I'm wondering if this is an opportunity for people in the tech industry, such as Barry and I, and we're on the... Uh, consulting side as well. And we think accessibility is really important, but we might not know how to sell it to the clients either to make them understand. So if there's some kind of like way that's, I don't know, just to form partnerships, I don't, because I don't know where to start with accessibility either, because I, I don't have to deal with those issues like some other people have. So I don't know, it just, it seems like a, a unique opportunity to help, you know, the people who are interested in, in helping 
make their clients aware, it'd be an interesting way to look at forming up some partnerships to, to help further disseminate that information, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is, like you say, it's just, it's kind of helping each other really trying to get other people to understand why it's so important, because unless you're kind right. of on wavelength, people just don't understand. It's like, oh, it's just an extra, it's not a priority in our budget, blah, blah, blah. That's all I hear, budget, budget, budget. And it's like, right. but you realise how, what this is going to do. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to, to look at that. It's a really interesting thing you mentioned about LinkedIn, which is something that I was completely unaware of. Because now thinking and talking about recruitment and making those kind of connections that Erica just mentioned there, but then and not realizing that the tools themselves are almost blocking, you know, they're, they're almost causing or contributing to the problem. Um, that's really interesting to me. And to tie it back to what, what you and Erica were just saying about that, you know, explaining the value of why that, you know, if, if I'm trying to recruit a more diverse team and I'm using LinkedIn, but the people who I'm trying to recruit can't use LinkedIn and I'm not aware. You know, there's such a, an obvious gap in knowledge there. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is mind-blowing. <laughs> but people don't actually re- – I actually went to LinkedIn, right? I, I was invited to go to their LinkedIn head office last year um, in San Francisco. So great. Love it there. Any excuse to go over there. <laughs> but, no, I was, I was invited over there. One of the interesting things that I learned there was the head of accessibility who invited me, who I later found out was actually fully blind, so totally blind, got no vision. So he relies on voiceover, which is on all iPhones, iOS products. And I sat in a room, there's probably about eight or nine of them, and the guy that was kind of above the guy that I was dealing with was on Skype <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> and then like all these people, it was really, it was really like cool. And I sat there and I showed them some of the features that I use. So I use large text and speak screen. Do you guys know speak screen? I've seen the name, but that's about it. <laughs> so the difference between voiceover and speak screen is voiceover is more navigational. So for someone who is totally blind to fill their Screen and listen to what is underneath their screen uh, fingers and then there's a couple of gestures like left right so if they want to flick to the next word or sentence say flick to the right and then if they want to tap double tap so it's just it's just it's very confusing for sighted people to navigate it for blind people it's great because you don't need to use a screen you don't need to see the screen whatsoever you're just using a select amount of gestures to navigate your way through whatever now I know how to use it when I show people in the workshops and a lot of people aren't aware of how it's used, hence why they design really poor accessible products. But Jenison, who I saw sort of said, you know, LinkedIn voiceover is really great for LinkedIn. And I was like, okay. Now the only reason he felt it was accessible was bearing in mind, he works at LinkedIn. I said to him, I went on so I used all the features I used and then I tried voiceover before I went in and I said the thing is with voiceover on LinkedIn is that you have to be aware that the you know the bar along the bottom where it says home news feed messages whatever you have to be aware where that is in order to put your finger across it and he was like oh yeah but most people know where that is no actually not not everyone knows that especially if you're using voiceover and you're totally blind you're trying to navigate an app you've never navigated before jenison who is fully blind and uses voiceover knows where that is so knows where to feel in order to access home 
messages, etc. Now, the one that I use, Speak Screen, is actually a feature on iOS designed for people with dyslexia. So you literally just swipe two fingers down from the top of the screen and it reads top to bottom the text. So it doesn't tell you the orientation of the screen, the time, or anything like that, because that's what VoiceOver would do. VoiceOver would do everything. So I, I sat in that room showing them and I said, right, speak screen, you know, swipe down. And it literally said, no speakable content is available on the screen. And I was like, <laughs> and they were all just like, <laughs> just silent. And I was like, so this is actually a tool that I use that visually impaired and dyslexic. And dyslexia is very common. It's very big. Yeah. And and LinkedIn is not accessed. And so they were they were quite shut down by that. Um, so again, that was because people assumed that if you were blind, you use voiceover. And I said, I am registered blind and have been for over 10 years now. And I've never used, felt the need to rely on voiceover. I use large tech, speak screen as and when I need to if my eyes are tired. Because I can see enough to navigate around the screen using Zoom. But I don't need voiceover navigational stuff because it's really chatty and and I'm also deaf so I wouldn't get all of it because it's all very like auditory so they were like wow like hadn't thought of that but have they invited me back for training (laughs) and have they done anything since no they're not even compatible with I don't know if you know when you go into settings and you change your text to large text underneath it says if that app is compatible with dynamic type the app will automatically adjust its font size so it goes bigger now twitter do it and it's great i go on hence why i'm always on twitter it automatically enlarges and i can read the text i don't even have to make any adjustments to the app because the app has just recognized that my phone is set to large text so it automatically changes which makes sense right now all of them do it now facebook do it twitter do it I say all of them, most of the the networking site, but LinkedIn don't do it. And that is just so prehistoric now. And I keep telling them, why why haven't you done that? Like large text, that's that's something that lots of people would benefit from because I find it so tiny. And my dad does and he uses it and he's financial advisor. He loves LinkedIn, but he struggles because it's so tiny. And yeah, but that's just LinkedIn. That's just, but they think, they think ironically because they have a blind person in the team, they're doing their bit for accessibility. So it, it's interesting that you say that they do have someone with a disability on their team. And so they are very tunnel focused, I guess, on that one disability. Insightful. Very insightful. Yeah. 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 So for, for people who maybe don't have that diversity on their team, even for that one person, like how can you... I don't even know how, what I'm asking, but like, how do you know that you're covering all your bases, right? Because LinkedIn obviously thinks that they've done a great job because they have this person who's blind on their team, but clearly they've missed the boat on some some big areas. And then there's teams with without diversity at all, with no disabilities or no, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's it is an ignorance thing, and I understand that, but it's it's just like it's knowing where to start and and how do you know if you've covered all your bases and and that I think that's what a lot of people stress about and this is where I kind of become really nice and reassuring is that you can you have to start somewhere and you're never gonna you're never gonna meet everyone's needs that's that's the thing I think you just have to be very open-minded I think you need to keep the communication going with lots of people um, so, for instance, if you do user testing, kind of keep that ongoing, I think, kind of like do that every now and then, like bring people in and different people each time and kind of keep 
keep the conversation going and I think that's all you can do because no one's ever going to please everyone and that's the one thing I sort of say like although I can bang on about how crap LinkedIn is but they're never they're never going to possibly please everybody but I think what's frustrating about LinkedIn for example is that people have said I physically went to their office and told them what needed to be done and they they didn't do it they haven't done it yeah it's it's a mindset so obviously what what you're saying obviously how can we cover our bases but start somewhere and you know once you've started it's all you can do um I think it's just having the right mindset and perspective and and goal if you like to to meet more needs of of just meet more needs of everybody and that's all that can really be expected really that's how everything starts doesn't it you just have to start somewhere and hope that you're gonna achieve something (laughs) so kind of what I'm hearing there is that you know that quite and I think this happens to me as well sometimes like the feeling that the mountain is so big to climb that it's not even worth starting but really what you're saying is that, you know, that's just, that's obviously self-defeating and it's better to do something and, and realize that it's just, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but that is an ongoing journey in that direction. And that that journey is important in itself, important enough to go on rather than sort of saying, I can't do it, so I'm not going to do anything. Definitely. Sometimes when you, you know, when any of us go to a client or go to a project and say, okay, look, it's really important that, accept, that we, we do something about accessibility here. And they don't listen or they don't prioritize it and it's just like slides under. But then in other circumstances, and maybe you've seen when they brought you in, they are really actively, proactively do, trying to move, you know, make things more accessible. And I'm wondering if you have any examples of what the difference there is. Is there something that you can point to and say, you know, this type of situation or this type of client or this type of conversation leads to a more positive action and then in other circumstances, they don't do it. I guess other than what I've already told you, I think it's, I've had a mixture of experiences. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's, it's been a mainly once I've been in and spoken to people or spoken from, from other people's experiences, it is more often than not kind of like a positive outcome. Like people are like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, you can see why it's important. But I think again, sometimes what I find when I'm invited for to do a presentation opposed to consulting, I'll go in and I'm asked to kind of talk about myself and why it's important to design for accessibility and inclusion. And I find that I go in and they enjoy the presentation, I get lots of great feedback. But I talk a lot about, you know, training and going forward and doing workshops and consulting and how can we make this better experience for everybody sometimes what I find I kind of go in and do the presentation and I'll sort of say you know please do be in touch if you want me to come back and you know sometimes I just don't hear and I sort of think did you not get the memo like I can't just come in and you know talk to you for half an hour and you be fully and fully like in the know now it just doesn't work like that I think I think again going back to priorities I think it's actually being committed to it and I, I would say I would class a lot of some companies more committed than than others because some will have me in and sit and listen to me talk and say yeah that's great you've got you know understand the importance but then they kind of don't show anything for it and that's happened a few times I think so yeah again kind of going back to what I've already said really trying to kind of sell that point and actually also say that it's not an instant fix it's got you've got to work on it yeah it takes time and you know you've got to pay for it (laughs) 
I'm not about to, you know, volunteer myself to, to go in with my time. And, you know, I think it's just, it's, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. And then tying that back to, as you said, uh, what we were talking about earlier, tying back the reason, you know, it's not just accessibility for its own sake, but like that it will bring these other benefits down the line. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Molly. We're on, I, we're sort of heading towards running out of time, but I really appreciate that. But just to finish up, what would be good if you share some of the links and some of the where people can find connect with you and find out about what you do? Yeah, sure. That's great. Yeah, no, I can send all that over. So just like my Twitter handle and things like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put them in the show notes there. Yeah. And it's uh, Molly. So you and also, by the way, we should mention the charitable trust that you do. Maybe just quickly mention that. Yeah, yeah. So the Molly Watt Trust is a family family built charity that was set up back in 2011, and that was really through all the troubles I had in education. We didn't have a lot of help, and I think we wanted to try and set up a support system for those with Usher syndrome because it's a lot more common than people realise. And we also identified that there were a few solutions. Um, again, with my experiences, like what I mentioned before, with using a Kindle and an iPad, that was how I could access my education. So at the Molly White Trust, we fund uh, bits of technology to help the everyday lives of those people living with Usher syndrome because we don't we don't sit and hope for a cure you know other charities do that but we kind of live in the here and now how can we make life easier we know people rush syndrome are fully capable of going out there and succeeding how how can we help that so we funded apple watches kindles eyewear all sorts of things and we kind of bring people together as well because some people Russia haven't met other people rush syndrome we meet their families and we're just we're just there we're just we, we mentor and we just like to be there for people with us syndrome through all the struggles and yeah so that's molly what trust and they and we can be found online also at mollywattrust.com and my personal website is mollywatt.com so there's lots of blogs that go online we we like blogs <laughs> we write a lot i write a lot and we get lots of people with us syndrome to write a lot as well kind of talking about technology or experiences in general and kind of yeah just endorse experiences where we can so the good and the bad experiences so people can be more aware and going forward but yeah that's that's molly what trust awesome thank you that's really really inspirational i really like it as i mentioned we'll put those links in the show notes people can check it out and find out more about you there thanks again thanks molly thanks erica thank you thank you bye-bye You can get all the links and notes from this episode on happyporchradio.com, where you can also find out how to send us questions, feedback, and get involved in the conversation about this series. If you enjoyed the show, please share with anyone else who might enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.